Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Chapter 15. And once again, we just want to uh, express our appreciation for uh, you who set aside time on a Sunday morning when you could be doing a lot of other things, uh, especially on a sunny Sunday when the grass needs mowing and the weeds need pulling and the car needs fixing. Uh, but how many know the soul also needs some spiritual food? And that's why we are here this morning, because we need to hear from God. John chapter 15. Amen. We uh, just as a, a little report, as we get into the word of God, we had a wonderful uh, time as our church camping group went up uh, from Thursday to Saturday, I want to um, just express my appreciation for those families that attended. Listen, the reason why we do events like that, a church camping trip, is uh, because the, those are memories that cannot be replaced. And, uh, and so that's why we do church events. We, we want to create uh, good memories in the minds of our young ones. Uh, and uh, that is a great opportunity to do that very thing, a church camping trip. We all sat around a campfire, uh, ate marshmallows, and for three days didn't shower. It was a fantastic time. Hallelujah. Amen. John chapter 15, we're going to read a couple scriptures there. Uh, I was contemplating recently in the last week uh, how so many of our churches, we are, uh, we are a church that is a member of a fellowship that is all around the world. Uh, here in the United States, there's, uh, I believe, over six or close to 700 churches here in the United States that we are affiliated with. And uh, overseas as well, we have uh, somewhere in the range of 14 to 1,500 churches all around the world. We have a strong network of churches that continues to grow. Um, but as I'm, I'm thinking about the, the, the fellowship that we have and the, this organization that we have, one thing that you will notice is that our churches tend to thrive here in the United States, especially where there is a military presence. Most of our mother churches, including Tucson, who we have some representatives from the Tucson church here this morning, our mother church in Chandler, Arizona, uh, both of these began as military churches, very close to military bases. Uh, some other examples, we have a church down in Jacksonville, North Carolina, very close to Cherry Point, or very close to um, Camp Lejeune. Uh, also, um, Jacksonville, Florida, close to, a large Norfolk, uh, close to a large Navy base there. The Norfolk Church of well, as well, close to a military base. We are uh, almost in the runway of uh, Oceana over here. And uh, so it's, it's no accident, I believe, that God has led us to be in places where there is a strong military presence. Many of the converts, most of you who are uh, long-term members of this congregation, uh, came out of the military. There is, uh, um, there is a connection, I believe, this morning between the, the military mindset and what it takes to serve the Lord in the army of God. And we're going to read a scripture that you may not think is related to the military mindset, and yet it is absolutely critical and crucial. Would you join me as we read together John chapter 15, and we're going to read verse 12 together. This says these words, the words of Jesus Christ. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Let's read that one more time. This is my commandment. 
Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Let's pray for just a moment as we think about these things. Father, we come by the blood of Jesus. I thank you for the people gathered here in this congregation this morning. Lord, that our ears would be open, that our hearts would be attentive. God, that you would remove from us distractions that would pull our minds and our hearts away from what you want to say. I'm praying, God, for the liberty and the grace to preach this message, God. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be pricked and convicted, Lord, that we'd be drawn once again to your word and to your truth this morning. I pray, God, let us have a military and a militant mindset as we serve you this morning. We thank you for all that you're going to do in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, Amen. Amen. One of the struggles that many military members face is after, uh, after they leave the battlefield, after they leave the position of, uh, of wherever they have served, and no matter what their rank may have been, one of the greatest struggles is to see a warrior have to go back and become a civilian. Uh, maybe you've uh, observed uh, a friend or a loved one who has served in the military with distinction and with honor, and who has thrived in the military and how oftentimes... They come out of a military having the mindset of uh, being that warrior, having the structure of a command, having the ability to follow uh, uh, orders and to obey and to do what the military has called them to do. And one of the biggest problems is that it is a very difficult switch to turn off the warrior mentality and to enter back into civilian life. The military has many programs to help soldiers to make this transition, and still, it is not easy. It is very difficult many times because when you are used to fighting and battling and killing and destroying, and then you have to come home and sit on a couch and get a job and work nine to five and, you know, don't kick the dog. And all of these things that civilian life is about, there is a definite struggle that happens. And that's because in the military, there is a certain purpose. There is a, there is a routine. And to become a civilian, once again, is very, very difficult. How many know there's a difference between the military mindset and the civilian mindset? You cannot have a civilian mindset if you are going to be in the military, Right? You cannot expect that your days are going to be comfortable, that you're going to have everything that you expect and want from life. If you are going to fight and win battles, you must have a military mindset. Just the other day, as I'm there, for those of you who don't know, I I work a part-time job in a computer shop uh, to pay the bills. And so a guy comes into our shop, and he's got a little hard drive with some information on it. And uh, he says, I I dropped my hard drive, and, you know, now it's not working right, and uh, I was hoping you could give me some information about uh, how to get the information off of there. And so we began to plug things in and do a little thing, and, and we realized that the drive is not, uh, not even working. So we're telling him that in order to get the data off of this drive, we're going to have to ship it out to, uh, to a data recovery center. Uh, and this is very expensive. This can be 1000 or $1,200, depending on the information. And so he's thinking, uh, he's, he's saying to himself, well, I don't exactly know what's on this drive. So he makes a phone call. And he calls a guy, and he begins to speak to him. So what's on this drive anyway? Turns out this guy is a master chief in the Navy. And he's calling some subordinate of his who has been using this drive. And he finds out through the course of conversation that this, this person has been using this little drive to put his own movies on. And music, he said, Master Chief, there's just, you know, there's some pictures, there's some interesting stuff. And he happens to mention, I'm listening to this conversation on the phone, and the guy mentions, oh, oh, but there's also some classified information on there. This Master Chief lost his mind. He said, you've been putting your personal movies, music, and pictures onto a drive with encrypted military confidential data he said have you lo- what were you thinking and he's, he's listening to the guy he said yeah uh-huh yeah what tomahawk missile data what 
So he's got this drive that has classified material. I mean, if that failing, there's no marking on it, there's no sticker. This guy began to lose the, oh, man, he said, you better get your dress whites ready because we're going straight to the admiral when I get back. Oh, man, it was such a beautiful thing to see. (laughs) To know that, man, if that guy is a master chief in the Navy, man, sign me up. I I want people like that in the Navy because this dude was on point. But what he began to do is he began to show me the difference between the civilian and the military mindset. And so whoever had been using this drive, he hadn't made the connection. I bet even today he's having a hard time because of that mistake, because of that decision to put his own stupid uh, 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 personal data onto this drive and not handle it well. But you see that uh, he, uh, he was still in the mindset of a civilian and trying to do a military job. I believe we have a very similar problem in the church of Jesus Christ. That we begin to mishandle the things of God because we still have a civilian spiritual mindset. How many know God has called us to be warriors in His army? That the moment that you got saved, that you signed the enlistment papers, and you said, I am now a soldier of Jesus Christ. And we enter into this army, but we still have the civilian mindset. But the kingdom of God is an army. The kingdom of God is military. I want to share a scripture from the book of Joshua, chapter 5. Very interesting little story here. Joshua 5, Joshua here is preparing to go to battle for the kingdom of God. He's preparing to... Uh, enter into the destiny that God has for His people. And it says in uh, Joshua 5.13, It came to pass, when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man, in my Bible, that's a M, capital M, man, stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us, or are you for our adversaries? In other words, are you on our team or are you on their team? Are you in our battlefield? Are you on our army or are you an enemy? Verse 14, so he said, no. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said, what does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. What Joshua did not realize when he saw this person, when he saw this warrior, this commander on the battlefield, he says, I'm not going to be defined by your little uh, uh, who's on which team. He says, I am the commander of the Lord's army. I am the Lord of all battlefields. I am in charge of the Lord's army. And many people would say that this is a a pre-incarnate, resurrected Christ here in the midst. That Jesus, He shows up and He says, I'm not just a Savior. I'm not just the gentle, meek and mild Jesus that lets children sit on His lap like Santa Claus. I'm not just the one who hands out the fish and the loaves when everyone is hungry. He says, I am also the commander of the Lord's army. The one who is in charge of the heavenly host. That Jesus has a military capacity to lead the army of heaven. When's the last time you thought of Jesus as commander-in-chief? Not just Savior, not just Lord of all the earth, but commander of the Lord's army army if you would have that mentality as you begin to serve the lord jesus you would have a lot easier time living for god because you would realize that he is not a civilian but he is our commander and you as you have come into the house of god if you have been born again if your life has been revolutionized if your sins have been forgiven you have done more than just join a church right You've done more than just put your rear end in a blue chair on a Sunday morning. 
You have done more than just get a little religious flavor to your life. You have enlisted this morning. And you've signed your name on the dotted line. You've signed away your rights as a civilian. And I want you to be reminded this morning that the commander of the Lord's army now has control over your life. Now, as we, uh, as we consider this truth, I want to take a few truths about the military and I want to apply them to the church because I believe we could learn a few things from the military this morning. We know that the military, ultimately, in this life, the U.S. military, whatever government's military, that it is a human institution which means that there are flaws. If you were part of the military, you know that there are probably some flaws. Because it's full of people, commanded by people, and people make mistakes. So the military is an institution that is far from perfect. And any soldier, sailor, marine, airman, coast guardsman, anyone can attest to the truth that the military is not perfect. But, even still, I believe that this church, that our uh, congregation this morning, we have much to learn from the greatest fighting force on the earth today, the U.S. military. Number one, I want you to be reminded that the military requires total abandon. So when you enlist, or when you sign up, or whatever your reason might have been if you were in the military in the past, what you must be reminded of is that when you signed the line for three years or four years or whatever your contract was, you were making a statement My life is not my own. You might be able to make a request for some time off or a place you want to go to, but ultimately you are not the one who makes the decisions for yourself. Right? You remember what that was like if you were in the military? That your life was in the hands of other people who were making decisions for you. You know, uh, uh, when the military, when you sign up and you enlist... Uh, they are going to very quickly steal away your comfortable environment. Some of these uh, teenagers who grew up in our church the last few years, uh, Jordan uh, and Zion, also these, these young men, you know, they, they were used to lives of comfort. Going to school in the day, coming home, eating mama's cooking, having food and clothing supplied for them. Everything is nice, and then they sign up for the U.S. Marines. Hua. And in a very short amount of time, their lives became very uncomfortable. They were not signing up to go be Girl Scouts. You know what I'm saying? They were not signing up uh, just to, uh, to help little old ladies across the street. These young men, they went off to become very uncomfortable. The very first thing you do in, in, the, in the Marine Corps is you get on a bus and you go get hounded for about eight weeks. And you lose all control over yourself, over your decisions, over your own body, even, your time. And sometimes I wish that we, in the church of Jesus Christ, that we would have a little more of that. That we would realize that our time does not belong to us. That our money does not belong to us. That we would become a little less comfortable with our lives. Realize that God sometimes puts us into a stressful situation. Not because He doesn't like us, but because He is trying to improve us. He is trying to put us into the stressful situation. You know, do a few spiritual push-ups. Do a few spiritual laps around the base. To wake up early in the morning when you feel like sleeping. That's what the military begins to put into these young men as they enlist. I want to remind you that, yes, the U.S. military puts a lot of effort into training young men and young women, but it is nothing compared to what Christ demands of you. The military can train your body and your mind to be a soldier, but the military cannot train you for heaven. That's what Christ is trying to do this morning. 
I want to give you a few scriptures to remind you of this in case you don't believe me. Luke 14, verse 33. Whoever does not forsake all that he has. Everybody say, all that he has. How much is that? Is that just a little bit? Is that just Sunday mornings? Whoever does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Just don't even think about it. Just If you think that you can serve God without forsaking all that you have, you've got the wrong mentality for living for God. If you think that you can give God 10% of your life and that's going to be enough, you are sadly mistaken. He demands it all, doesn't he? Forsake all that he has. Luke 5, verse 11. It said that when these first disciples began to follow Jesus, that they forsook all and followed him. They forsook all. Now, as Jesus is he's leading them away, he might have turned around and seen them forsaking all that they have. Jesus did not go, oh, guys, don't be so radical. Come on. You've got you to keep a job in this life, right? You've got to pay some bills. You've got to have some responsibility. Don't forsake everything. Did he do that? No, Jesus was happy that they forsook all to follow Jesus. What about you? Have you forsaken all to follow Jesus? Peter said to him in Luke 18, verse 28, See, Lord, we have left all and followed you. Jesus did not argue with him about that. Jesus did not say, bad idea, Peter. He said that is the right way. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3, verse 8, I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, counting them as rubbish, trash, dung, that I may gain Christ. Let me ask you, do you count all of your things as rubbish so that you can gain Christ? How about whatever's parked out here in the parking lot? Compared to what Christ has given you, rubbish. How about the place where you lay your head at night? You know, all of a sudden, we, we, uh, last night we came home from our long camping trip. It wasn't even that long. It was 48 hours. But we came home, and I'm saying uh, nighttime prayers with my girls. And I'm saying these prayers. I don't even know where they came from. I'm saying prayers like this. Lord, thank you for a roof over our head. Lord, thank you for air conditioning that I don't have to sweat all night. Lord, thank you for a mattress that is not filled with air right now and has a leak in the corner. So I wake up with my butt on the ground and the rest of me floating. Thank you for all of these amazing things. I like having a house. I like having a car. I like having material possessions. I like having an iPhone. But can I tell you something? If the Lord said, give it all away, I would. If the Lord said, it's all rubbish compared to what I have, I don't have a problem with that. There have been times in my life when we literally did that. Empty the bank account, Lord. At His command. When he wants it, when the Lord has spoken, because I understand something, that God has given physical blessings and material blessings, but they're still his. There is nothing in this life that belongs to me. And there is nothing in this life that belongs to you. The Apostle Paul says everything that we have is rubbish. It's trash compared to what Christ has given John, in 1 John 2, verse 15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. To live for Christ means to live in total abandon. We can learn that from the military. Secondly, we want to look at total commitment. You know, a member of the military has time for very little else. That's why it's tough sometimes when when military people get saved and they start coming to church. It's tough for them. I I can even see it in in this young man, Jordan. Thankfully, he's training not too far away. Just got some good news that he's being stationed 
at the Norfolk base there. That's wonderful news. And so uh, he'll, he'll be here in town for at least the next two years. But, you know, part of that means that he's not here this morning. And that's the way it should be. Because the military, when, when you uh, enlist and you sign up, they, as we mentioned, has already have rights over your time. There's time, not time for much else in life. You know, uh, you're not going to get a second job as a Marine. You're not going to have energy for hobbies and projects. Whatever time that they give you for personal time is going to be spent sleeping. Because they're asking for all of you, your mind and your body. Can I remind you that Christ has asked for nothing less from us and perhaps even more? What is the first commandment that he said? To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. What what else is left? To live for God means total commitment. How about Luke 9, verse 62? Jesus said to him, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. I believe the church could learn this lesson once again. Now, am I saying that everyone needs to get a job at the church and spend all your time uh, sitting in the sanctuary? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that in our lives we should have the mindset that the kingdom of God is first. And if anything else comes against that, I will choose God's kingdom over the world's. I will choose God's kingdom over my own personal pursuit of riches. I will choose God's kingdom over other things because I'm committed. Thirdly, I want to remind you that in the military, that the church can learn obedience. Everybody say the word obedience. Obedience. You know, we think that obedience is just for puppy dogs. We think that obedience is just for our children. Uh, 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 You know, when they say, why, mommy? You say, well, because I said so. And you expect, as a parent, that your children would obey you. And yet we, we miss the fact many times that God asks obedience from every single one of us. See, good soldiers know how to obey orders. Know how to take direction from their commanders. I, uh, I, I'm interested to know how many drop out of boot camp because they're not able to take an order. If you've ever been to a boot camp, you probably saw them. Uh, one of the young men who got saved in our church a couple years ago, uh, Johnny, he went off to uh, to, to um, Navy SEAL program. And in the Navy SEAL, I watched a documentary on this one time, and it's amazing to me, you know, there is no more rigorous training than it is to become a Navy SEAL. It's body, it's mind, it's strength. And one of the things they have is they have this bell. And wherever they go, they have a, wherever they're training, they have a little bell on a stand. So if they're out on the beach, in Coronado, I think it is, and they're, you know, they're carrying these massive 100-pound logs, and they're learning teamwork, and they're in the waves, and the water is cold, and it's, the wind is blowing, and it's terrible, and it's tragic, and oh, the pain, and they're yelling in your face, and at every moment, the bell is there. And the trainers are always saying, hey, you can go ring the bell anytime, anytime you want. And when you ring that bell, you're saying, I'm done. And of the Navy SEAL training, I think it's only one in five that make it all the way through. 20%. At some point, the pain gets too difficult. At some point, the injuries start to stack up. At some point, you begin to lose hope that you're ever going to make it, and the bell is always there, ready to ring. It's right here. And they're telling these recruits, they're telling these, these are tough men, they're telling them at any point you go ring that bell and you're out of here. We'll ship you home. Back to your mattress. Back to your family. Back to your home cooking. Just go ring that bell. And it's always there tempting them. 
when the bell is always there. And yet, these young men begin to learn total obedience. To, to follow every command, even when it's hard. To learn that their bodies are capable of far more than they expected. Can I remind you, this is a good lesson the church needs to learn. Jesus encountered a military man as he ministered on the earth in Luke chapter 7. Very interesting story. This man comes to Jesus, and apparently he has a sick servant back in his, in his home. And there's some distance between Jesus and this servant back at his house. And so uh, he comes to Jesus and says, uh, Lord, I have a servant that needs to be healed. Jesus has compassion. And of course, Jesus wants to pray for this man to be, uh, to be healed. And Jesus says, sure, I'll come with you. Just lead the way. Show me where your house is. And I will go and pray for this person, this servant. So, I mean, everything's going to be taken care of, right? But here's a military man, a Roman centurion, who says, no, Jesus, just wait a minute. Listen to what he says, Luke 7, verse 8. I am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes. To another, come, and he comes. To my servant, I say, do this, and he does it. Essentially, he's saying to Jesus, there's no reason for you to come to my house. Just say the word. And I understand from a military mindset that when you speak the word, Jesus, that something is going to happen. And even from here, you don't need to come to my house. Look, just say the word, and when I get home, my servant will be healed. Now, Jesus could have said, oh, yeah, I understand that. That's cool. But I still, I want to come to your house, and I want you to cook a little food for me. And, you know, let's, let's have some time of fellowship together. But when Jesus heard the man describing the military mindset, listen to what Jesus said. He marveled at him, turned around and said to the crowd that followed him. He says, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. What an incredible understanding this morning that Jesus equates the military mindset of obedience to faith. Do you believe God this morning? Do you believe? Do you have faith? Part of faith is obedience. Jesus equates obedience in spiritual things to great faith. We live in a lawless generation. That refuses to take direction from anything, from anyone. I feel sorry for public school teachers. Could you imagine? Children who are trained to disobey at every turn. I could not imagine what it would be like to be, in, to be a, uh, a 10th grade teacher. Good Lord, pray for our public school teachers. They need a miracle. Because they are dealing with a lawless generation. Who do you think you are telling me what to do? And then, if there's a question in the classroom, the parents, it used to be parents would come in and stick up for the teacher. But not today. What did you say to my little Johnny, my little dear, my little shining face, my little angel? Defending what is indefendable. This is the spirit of a lawless generation. A spirit that says, what does the Bible say? Forget about it. What does God say? Forget about it. What does tradition say? Forget about it. I want to do it my way. In the kingdom, what we need is obedience. What, how good would, a, would an army be if it was filled with soldiers who disobeyed commands? What good would it do? Would there be any battle won? Uh, you know, I think about the World War II generation, these young men, the greatest generation we call them. These, uh, many of them, oh, 16, 17, 18 years old, going off, many of them had not been within 50, or beyond 50 miles of their hometown. And we ship them off into Europe or into, you know, the Japanese uh, Pacific Islands to go face the worst kinds of evil that this world has ever seen. And when they went there, they did not go, go there saying, I've got a good idea about how this battle can happen. 
I think I should go there. Commander, what do you say? Ah, forget about it. I'm going this way. The reason that we have been successful in the military campaigns is because we have soldiers that obey orders. What about here this morning? What about you? Do you know how to take a command? Do you know what it means? Even when you think you have a better idea, One last thought as we compare. The military is a place for men to thrive. Now, I'm not saying that women shouldn't be in the military. Don't, uh, don't rise up on me. We have many women who have served with distinction and have done great things in the military. But one of the things that makes the military great is it is a place where men can thrive where men can fulfill their purpose. I see that in the church of Jesus Christ, many places, many congregations, that the church is a place only for women. There's a problem with that picture. If the church is, uh, has you know, 14 different women's groups and only one, women's, uh, one men's group, if there's you know, 40-year-old single women and 38-year-old uh, married women, and there's a group for every kind of woman on the planet Earth. But there's no place for the men to serve. There's a problem with that picture, isn't it? The church ought to be a place where young men can find purpose and thrive. The church ought to be a place. Listen, when Jesus came to the earth, of course He ministered to women. He included women. Women were there every step of the way. But Jesus, He left His church to 11 men and said, you lead this thing. The church of Jesus Christ to this day is a a place where men ought to thrive, ought to rise up in leadership, ought to desire greater things. The church can learn from this today. And you know why that is? Because men many times are called upon to make the greatest sacrifices. When Jesus is describing the church, or excuse me, when the Apostle Paul is describing the church, he's using as an illustration marriage. And we know he says to the wives, wives, submit to your husbands as the church submits to and, and, and obeys uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. But then he goes on and says, Husbands, love your wives the same way that Christ has loved the church. And this is where I want to close this morning with the idea of total sacrifice. The reason why I mention about men in the church is because men many times are called upon to make the greatest sacrifice. It is true that many, uh, many people who join the military are not enlisting out of love of country and altruistic patriotism. Many times people are joining up just to get a paycheck or a guaranteed uh, a, a university program. Many are joining for selfish reasons, but I believe, and I believe that this is still true in 2019, that there are still a lot of young people who join the military because they love their country and ultimately because they love you. It's not just because of the colors of the flag. It's not just because the United States is a great place to live. But I believe there are young men and young women who enlist to defend our culture, our way of life, our families, and our homes. And that's the way it should be. They are willing to give themselves for the sake of others. And that's why I chose this scripture, John 15, verse 12. Love each other the same way that I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. The military is uh, an incredible description of what true love looks like. True love is not the happy feelings, is not the goosebumps that you get when you watch a rom-com. 
It's not what Hollywood portrays. So much of that is nothing more than lust. But true love, if you want to see it, look at the men who go into battle in God-forsaken places like Afghanistan so that you don't have to. Look at those men and, and those women who train years and years, who practice, who take orders, who lay their lives down so that you don't have to. When I look at the military, I am in awe of people who are laying down their rights, who are choosing to be uncomfortable, who are choosing to give away their own self-will, their own desires. Why? So that I can live in this great nation. I looked up the numbers. In the U.S. military, in the history of our nation, there have been 600, at least 667,000 soldiers killed in action. There have been at least 1.5 million people wounded in battle. Why would they do that? Just to get a paycheck? No. They did that because they loved their wives, their husbands, their children, their cousins, their uncles, their aunts. They did that because they loved this country, the way of life that we have. They do that. They go into battlefields and bleed and die. And they come back with fewer arms and legs. And the reason they do so is not because they enjoy it, but because of their love, their agape, self-sacrificial love. And I believe there is, uh, in this world, there is no greater example of true love than what Christ did for us on the cross. He came to give Himself away. He could have come making demands. He could have come uh, asking for people to serve Him, and He would have been right to do so because He's the King of Kings. But when Jesus came to this world, He came to lay His life down. He said, no one takes my life from me, but I give myself freely as a willing sacrifice. And at the Last Supper, as he's giving his last instructions to his disciples, these are his words. He says, how can you live for me? How can you do what I want you to do? This is my commandment. Love each other the same way that I have loved you. How did Jesus love us, love those disciples? He gave himself fully, completely. He was willing to bleed for them. He was willing to die for them. He was willing to lay aside his personal comforts, desires, and dreams for the sake of his disciples. And he says, the same way I have loved you, now you go and love somebody else. No greater love than this, to lay down one's life for a friend. Can I tell you, when I woke up this morning, I didn't really want to come to church. My body is sore. My mind is tired. I was in a bad mood. But the reason I'm here is because of you. Is because Jesus Christ has loved me so much that he was willing to give up his comfort and his time and his body. And he's asked me to be here for you. Let me ask you this morning, what has God asked you to do? How has he asked you to lay down your life for the sake of someone else? You know, witnessing can be uncomfortable. Inviting people to church can be uncomfortable. Uh, Follow-up can be uncomfortable. Right? All of the things that God has called tithing can be uncomfortable. All of these things God asks us to do. But none of them are less uncomfortable than what Christ did for us. Right? Compared to what he was willing to do, he's not asking much from you. Paul calls it our reasonable sacrifice. It's a good deal to live for God. It's really, I mean, we might be discomforted a little bit from, from time to time. Christ has not asked any of you to become martyrs, at least not yet. 
And what do we get in return? We get heaven. We get eternal life. We get the bliss of seeing those who've gone before us. So what's holding you back? Christ has called us to be warriors, to obey his commandments, to lay down our lives. Let's do so willingly. Let's do so with joy and not out of, out of pure duty. Yes, we will do the will, but I'm not going to have a good attitude about it. Why don't we live for him with passion and with love and with sincere desire? Let's bow our heads this morning. Close our eyes as we bring this service to a close. And as the Lord begins to help us, we're going to open this altar for prayer in just a moment. As we bring this service to an end, I want to take just a moment of time. As we are here together in this place, as our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed for a moment, I want to ask you the most important question that you could ever answer. Are you right with God? The Bible says that we've all come into this world having the stain of sin on our lives. Having the disease of disobedience. That we've all been been recipients of a sinful human nature. That from the garden and from every person who's come since, we are rebels against a holy and a righteous God. And if you'd be honest for a moment, you know that it's true that there have been many, many times, thousands and thousands of times, when you knew to do right and you didn't do it. When you knew to withhold from evil actions and you did them anyway. When you shook your fist at a holy God and said, I have a better way. Just like the little child who throws a temper tantrum when they don't get their way, you might not fall down on the ground and flail your arms and legs like that little two-year-old. But many of us, we do the same thing in our hearts when God asks us to obey. And what we've done is this morning we have violated the God who made us. Sin is ultimately when we refuse to do God's will. And as a result, we all deserve wrath and condemnation. The Bible says the wages of our sin is death. But I have good news for you today. Wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we are here today to proclaim the incredible grace and mercy of a holy God. That He doesn't have to forgive you, but He's willing. Because of what Christ did on the cross, because of the price that He paid, because of the life that He gave, and the blood that He shed, there is now a sacrifice that can be applied to your life and to mine. When Jesus shed His blood, it was for your sake. So that if you would cry out to Him, God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. If you would repent and say, God, please, I know what I've done is wrong. That there exists for you a sacrifice that can be applied to your life, that God will forgive you. And He will set you free. And this morning, I wonder if there's someone here today that you'd be honest for just a moment. You'd say, Pastor, my heart is far from the Lord. I've been living in my own selfish desires. I've been doing what I want to do. But I realize today that that is not working. It's not leading me anywhere good. The heart, the Bible says, the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? What we need today is we need God to forgive us our sins. And for just a moment, as you think about your own condition before the Lord, I wonder, would you say, Pastor, please pray for me. I need salvation. I need my sins to be forgiven. I would love to pray with you this morning if you just lift up your hand so I can see it. Make yourself 
So you can see. Thank you, these hands. Is there someone else? Quickly, you respond with honesty today. Say, Pastor, I'm not right with God. I'm not on my way to heaven. And I need forgiveness today. Is there anyone else? Quickly, with an uplifted hand, I want to pray for you. Backslidden in your heart. Anyone else? Quickly. There was a time you served God, but today your heart has grown cold. You'd lift up your hand. Say, I need spiritual renewal. Is there anyone else? Quickly. Quickly today. You're ready to enlist. You're ready to join up. You're ready to say, my life is not my own. I want to serve the Lord. I want to join this army. I'm ready because I need this. With these two honest hands, you lift it up. I wonder if you do one more thing for me. If you come to the front right here, I'll meet you right here. Would you come? I'm going to pray with you. Can we have a couple people come? Thank you, my brother. God's going to help you today. You can kneel down right here at this altar. I need a man to come and pray here. Hallelujah. Oh, God's going to move this morning. Thank God. I want to pray also. Others here. Maybe God has touched your heart during this service. That there has been a scripture that has pierced your soul today. Maybe you realize that this message was for you. That you need to serve the Lord with greater capacity. That you've been complaining and whining when God has called you to serve. I want to open up this altar for prayer. I wonder if we could stand together in this place. We're going to pray together here at this altar with these honest hearts. If the Lord is speaking to you, would you come and say, Lord, I want to, I want to be part of your army. I want to be a part of what you are doing. Let's come to this altar and pray together in this place. Let's cry out to God. Let's ask Him to move. Let's ask Him to be who, we've called, who He's called us to be. As we pray together, we're going to sing a song of worship. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vvph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vvph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.